all-star uniforms, sticky substances, major leaguers' use of analytics, and facing his childhood hero. Former major leaguer Jerry Blevins talks about these topics and more next on Beat the Shift. Welcome to another episode of the Beat the Shift podcast. I am your host, Ariel Cohen, and with me as always, Ruvain Guy. How are you, Ruvain? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, and we are thrilled to have on our show. Our next guest has 30 career wins in the major leagues with seven saves, a career ERA of 3.54, 508 strikeouts, and 495 innings pitched. And since this is the Fangraph show, he gave up just a 4% barrel rate over his career, 13 seasons with Oakland, Washington, the Mets, and the Atlanta Braves. And he does the Shea Anything podcast presented by SNY. Welcome to the show, Jerry Blevins. Man, thanks for that intro. I, I learn something new every time I talk to fan graphs. It's like uh, 4% barrel rate. That's pretty good. I, as a as a guy in, in the bullpen, uh, missing barrels is legitimately the number one thing that you try to do. And 4%, I think that's pretty successful. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Spot on with that analysis there. Uh, no, that's a fantastic number. And, and do that. And, you know, before we talk about uh, uh, the rest of, uh, of our show, just, uh, you know, personal, what, what, what are you doing uh, these days, uh, Life After Baseball? Yeah, you mentioned the, the Shea Anything podcast. That's, that's fun that I get to host with Doug Williams on the SNY uh, feed. We just, I think today, so the day of recording, um, we just uh, published the um, episode we did with uh, John Her- Hurwitz, who's a huge Mets fan. Uh, he's also the co-creator of Cobra Kai. Um, he also co-created and wrote um, Harold and Kumar, directed uh, American Reunion from the American Pie series. Uh, so that was really fun, man. I'm just enjoying my post-playing career. Um, I really enjoy doing uh, podcasts and, and some TV work. And, and basically, I just, I'm, I'm loving being home, being a dad, being a father, being a husband, um, and neglecting all the people that really supported me through my career and, and the crazy life that is baseball. And I have to shut it off. And, and now that I'm done, you know, I'm annoyingly present for all these things uh, that people are used to not being around, you know. Uh, so it's nice. I just, I'm just enjoying life, uh, a slower pace and, and just enjoying it every day. That sounds fantastic. And great that you're still doing stuff around the game as well. Um, you know, we had, uh, the all-star game this week and, uh, maybe I can just get, you, get your quick reactions to the home run derby, Shohei Otani, uh, the celebrity game, which was, uh, kind of crazy. And, uh, maybe talk a little bit about the uniforms, whether you like them or not. <laughs> <laughs> I'll start with the uniforms. That's an easy, like, I, I really wanted to like them because uh, I like things new. I like trying new things. The, the I like the alternate jerseys getting mixed in. Um, the Mets are going back to black, which um, now that I'm out of it, I'm not a big fan of personally um, because as I was playing, I was like, you guys can't have a throwback to a jersey that was around when I was still playing. Like that doesn't, <laughs> not, the, yeah, it didn't, it didn't cover it. Um, but I like I like the mixing it up. So the the uniforms were okay. They looked like 
like uh, batting practice jerseys. But uh, I guess I really missed, and I understand it from the fans' perspective, just having the players represent the team on a bigger level. Like having the guys wear their uniforms on the field is really cool. They all wear their home whites or their road grays, depending. Um, so so I thought the, the jerseys were really cool, but I think they should have went back to traditional for the actual game themselves. Um, yeah, what, did you guys enjoy them? No, nope. I did not like it. No, I did not like the jerseys. I I actually hated them. Even the hats, I didn't even like. Just just it's. I liked it more tra- a little bit more traditional. Uh, and they just the play. A lot of the players looked weird in them. It, it it just didn't look right. It looked it looked like I don't know if you remember this, but the Mets a long time ago had these jump to the future jerseys where they were called the Mercury Mets. Those jerseys were hideous, and they those the uh, the All Star the the home the I think it was the home All Star jerseys looked similar to that. It was just one bland color, and you need something more. You need back to the way they dress when they're playing because that's that's how they got there. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I hadn't seen the the Mercury Mets uniforms until I saw on Twitter um, some people comparing them, and I looked them up, and I was like, oh man. I'm really happy I didn't get have to wear those jerseys as a player. We had the, the I actually, 86... I actually I actually went to one of those games. I went to one of those games. They were playing the Pirates at the time. They were it was just so bad. It was really bad. <laughs> That's a bad look. So yeah, I think it was pretty universally disliked. I think Nike I like that Nike kind of tries things. Um baseball's such a traditional sport and we move at a slower pace when it comes to evolving. And Nike's really pushing the envelope, and they're they're gonna get some things wrong, um, and they're gonna they're gonna bounce back for it. Hopefully, they learn. But I I appreciate you know being progressive, trying to find new things and and push the envelope. But uh, this was definitely a, a swing and a miss, and hopefully they they just do it for like a BP, uh, and then go back to the game traditional style. You know, uh, we had on last night on the show Howard Johnson, and it came up. That uh, well, he was he wore number twenty, right? And so did Pete Alonso. And during the home run derby in tribute to Hank Aaron, Pete Alonso wore number forty-four. Amazingly, right after they traded Daryl Strawberry as a protest, Howard Johnson very temporarily switched his jersey number from twenty to forty-four. That was kind <laughs> of that blew our minds yesterday. That's crazy. crazy. That is crazy. That's uh, what a what a random uh, yeah, like tribute, like a a. a I guess an unintentional uh, tribute to Howard Johnson, who's a a great baseball player in his own right. Yeah, yeah. Before we talk a bit more about baseball in 2021, it's time for our Injury Gurus Trivia of the Week. Now, every week we usually have a trivia question uh, based on what we're talking about. We're going to be talk- we're talking with you, Jerry. So this trivia question is actually geared exactly to you. You played <laughs> with Oakland. That's a lot of pressure. <laughs> a, a little bit. I'm, I'm sure you get, you'll get this answer. I'm pretty sure. Um, you played with the Oakland A's. You played with the Washington Nationals. You played with the Mets, obviously, and one year with the Braves. There were four left-handed hitters that you faced the most in your career. Who were they? Yeah, I should get this one. So yes. my, I let's go number one. Actually, it might have been. I think he might be number two now. So uh, Freddie Freeman is one of them. Correct. Uh, unfortunately three. for me, uh, great for Braves fans that we face each <laughs> other that much. That guy. Yeah, yeah, he was twelve for twenty-five off of you with a homer. Yeah, I remember all of them very vividly. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the number two, I guess, I think would be Ichiro. Ichiro was um, number two. You, okay. You did okay against him. I did okay. I uh, definitely took advantage of him later in his career. 
because uh, when I was in Oakland, he was in Seattle. Like even when I do my job and get him to ground out to, to second base, he would beat it out. Like the guy's an animal. Um, Nick Markakis, number three, number one, you faced number him one. 29 times. Wow. Okay. Sorry, Nick. I, I feel like I did pretty well against him. You did. He was five for 29. You, you did very well against him. So he, uh, he could definitely kick my butt. So I won't say that too loud. Um, and then number four, who would? Can I guess one? Yeah, please. I'm gonna Go guess ahead. Bryce Harper. That was I was gonna say Bryce Harper, um, but I, I he was in my division. We played on the same team. No, Bryce Harper. I, I think is I'm gonna stick four. with you. It, it is. is Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper is number four. He actually hunted right. twice against you, but it was only four for twenty. Now you face these lefties so often. Um, how do you first of all? How do you prepare to face them if you're facing them so many times? And how do these new rules, where you're only where you have to face three batters, the extra inning rule and the seven inning doubleheader, how do all these new rules play into the way baseball is played now? And what do you think of them? Yeah, so there, that's that's about three really heavy questions for for me. <laughs> um, yeah, the the approach is um, very different. So every I face these guys so much. Um, most of the time, the game's on the line, right? So each hitter's different. So a guy like Freddie Freeman and even Ichiro too. Freddie's Freddie's a lot more like Ichiro than he is like Bryce Harper. Um, those type of hitters that are just really good bat to ball guys are the ones that I really, really had to like prepare for. The guys like Bryce Harper, when Bryce is on, it's a different story. There's not much you can do to get him out. But guys that just want to hit the ball 500 feet are the ones that I could really take advantage of. It's the, I know if I execute my pitches that I'm going to get those type of guys out. Um, and if I miss, they're going to hit a home run. It's the Freddie Freemans, the Ichiros, the contact guys, like the even the, the Jeff McNeils, uh, of the world, the guys that put the ball in play wherever it's pitched, that I can't really take advantage of something that they do poorly, is is a lot more cat and mouse, which is what I love. So a lot of it prep work would be, what are they doing lately? How are they doing? And then mid at bat reads, um, you know, were they were they leaning out? Were they late on that fastball? Those types of things. So it's a lot of it's prep work, and then a lot of it. I think where I excelled the most was like in-game management, in-between pitches, reading, that kind of situation. So um, I guess that's the first part. What was the, the second second question? But before you get to that, by the way, um, John Franco told me the exact same thing as you, by the way, where he, he could get those big Barry Bonds, no problem with. Guys are going for the, But the, the scrummy little guys who have contact, that's who he, he struggled to get out, and, and that's where he had to prepare more and think more each, uh, each pitch. I, I got a good chance to pick John Franco's brain. He was a much better pitcher than I was. Um, but anytime you can, like, you know, anytime I ask him a question, it's and a guy that's as accomplished as he was, and we have a similar line of thought, that's when you're like, yeah, I'm on the right track yeah, with something. Right. So good, yeah. Right. And nowadays, we do, yeah, they have the three-batter rule. Um, how do you think you would have fared with that? Because, I mean, the, the age of the loogie, the left-handed guy, left-handed specialist, is sort of out the window because you've got to get both lefties and righties out. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I, I actually think that the, the loogie, my role, was on its way out anyway because of the way teams were managing their bullpens. I think that that was going out the door. Um, there's just so much heavy talent in the game that guys just have such good stuff now and they're able to develop it quicker. 
um, that they're just rolling guys out there that can get their like great slider guys. Their slider plays left against lefties and righties. Um, I think it was a rule that would have, if you wanted to put it in, you should have put it in 10 years ago. Um, but I'm not a fan of it for not because it, it attacked me personally. I'm not a fan of it because I think it takes away a strategy from a manager, just another, another, uh, chess piece that he could move around. Um, I'm, I'm, I just, I like strategy in a game and, and I know the DH is on its way out eventually, no matter, you know, matter what's happening. I think it's pretty inevitable that the DH is going to make its way into the national league too. So you're going to, you're going to take the away manager's ability to, to affect the game as it's going on. And, and I thought that rule was kind of just change for changes sake. And, and the game was evolving to, to eliminate it anyway. So that's how I feel about the, the three batter minimum rule. And the extra inning rule where if, if you started, let's say in that you started the 10th inning, they automatically get a runner starting at second base. Would you, would you approach the inning any differently? Or, I mean, I know you come into games a lot of time, used to come into games in the middle of an inning. So, I mean, it shouldn't really fade you that much, but how do you, how would you approach that differently? Yeah, it wouldn't affect me because like I said, or like you mentioned, I, this is, that was my job. Runners in scoring position was most of the time when I came into the game. I, again, I don't like that rule because they didn't earn their way there. Um, I am one of the very few, and I spoke this up at one of our uh, our executive board meetings at our union where we kind of feel like you put it out there for our union and guys speak their minds and say what they want. I, I'm for, if we're trying to speed this up, I'm for having ties. And in baseball, that is <laughs> that is a blasphemy to a lot of people to, to say that you would rather have a tie. But I think, you know, if you if you go 11 innings and you haven't come up with a score, or no, no, the other team hasn't taken advantage. I don't think you should just stick somebody at second base and then let it play out that way because that's not baseball to me. Nobody earned that. If you get a, you know, a broken bat to jam them, moves them over, and then you get a, you know, another broken bat. That's that's a run and a loss. Like I would rather tie a game than lose without earning a loss. So that's that's just how I felt. So I'm definitely in the minority. How do you guys feel about ties? I mean, first of all, I think Steve Cohen should suggest that uh, that we do a home run derby in, after the 12th inning. We got the best home run guy on our team, so you might as well suggest that. That's um, the truth. Uh, I, I mean, I don't have a problem with ties. Um, I, I think ties in hockey used to be fine. Uh, I don't know why you have to have a shootout. You have to have a winner. You have to do it quickly. Uh, I'm fine with uh, I was t- To be honest with you, I'm fine with the way it was. Like I remember watching games, and oh my God, it's the 14th inning, and you're, you're glued to the TV, and it's 2 o'clock in the morning on a West Coast game and I, I remember watching games. It's part of the fun. You never know what's gonna happen. So And I'm, the All Star game I'm, ended in a tie also one year. I mean I felt a little you know, I, I don't know what I felt there after that. It was just very odd to see a game in the end in a tie and just everyone just walk off the field. It just didn't seem right. Uh see I'm I'm for if it's not gonna be the old way where you just play baseball until it's over, I think you should just stop the game at a certain point instead of creating right. false you know, false action. But, right, you know, right. I got my first at bat in the big leagues in an American League game. Oakland, we were at home against Anaheim. We were in like the 15th inning. We had ran through guys and we lost our DA or lost, yeah, lost our DH. And I ended up leading off an inning in like the 15th inning. You wouldn't, you, you were not going to see those like random fun things anymore. Yeah. I mean, everyone wants to see Bartolo Colon hit. You know, why, <laughs> why, 
Well, why would you need a DH, you know? Uh, there, um, I mean, yeah, Bartolo's a, a different animal, a different breed of human <laughs> being, so. Uh, fantastic. Um, you know, seven-inning doubleheaders, I, I don't know if you're a fan or not of it. I personally think it's terrible. I mean, as a fan, you know, earlier this year, I had tickets to a, a regular game, and the night before it was rained out, so all of a sudden, boop, I get 14 innings instead of nine. I, I was ecstatic. I got more baseball. But then there was some people this year who had a 7 o'clock night game, and they put in a, a doubleheader, but earlier in the day, and they had to clear their stands, and all of a sudden, your nine-inning game, you just got cut short of two innings, and now you only get seven innings? That's a service cut. Uh, I'm not a fan of doing that. That's terrible for the fans. I, I agree, and, and selfishly, I didn't think about it from the, the fan aspect until now. I was thinking that you would get 14 innings, like you said, and instead you get seven. I think that's... Nine for seven, yeah. I just figured they would just let the guy, let it roll, but uh, of course not. I don't know why I would... <laughs> having dealt with you know that side of things for a while, I'm not sure why I didn't point that out, but from a baseball perspective... I I don't like it there. Any I like it. I like the extra inning rules more than I like the seven inning doubleheader because that agreed, agreed changes the the aspect, the way you manage, the way you play the game, what you do with your starter. Like it completely. It's a different ball game at seven innings. You your your bullpen, your your starter usage, when you pinch hit, all that stuff is completely different. And I think that is a big swing and a miss. Um, you're changing the fundamental aspect of the game for the entire game because of shortening it up but actually it's it's not that bad for this year because all the pitchers they haven't built up their innings from from last year because it was half a season because of covid so actually the seven inning games actually may benefit the pitchers so they don't get used as much their innings stay down a little bit and actually may preserve them and i guess keep them healthier what do you think i i don't think so i think you know Guys are going to get pulled when they get pulled as far as starters, but you're, 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 what you're, do, you're doing is you're changing, you know, uh, you're not going to bring in, say, if your guy only goes five, you're not going to go from five like you're up one run. You're not going to go to your middle reliever. You're going to go to your setup guy to throw the sixth uh, because the next inning goes to your closer. And so you're going to change. You're going to eliminate jobs. You're going to eliminate useful for, for like the third, fourth, fifth, guy in the bullpen is going to basically be eliminated and that also you know adds to if you're playing um if you're playing a four game series and and you're trying to get into their bullpen and you really you really run their starter out after four innings and all of a sudden instead of having to to fill out five innings that would it would help you in the later games of the series and now you just let a guy, you know, throw two innings and the game's over. Like it just changes it right. changes so much of the fundamentals of baseball that that I just I can't I really can't stand it. And if you're gonna do it and you're gonna allow that, you have to keep it in the rules. Like the no hitters, you can't just be like an asterisk. It's your fault. You change the game to that. You can't punish a guy because you shorten the game. He threw a no hitter. Like I, I don't understand. I agree. And uh, the fact that Madison Bumgarner threw a complete game, uh, that should also be considered uh, a no-hitter, right? I mean, he, he got credit for the complete game, so he should get credit for the no-hitter, <laughs> yeah, right? It's, it's crazy where they draw the line these days, my friend. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about the sticky substance ban. Um, you know, uh, we had players uh, such as Tyler Glass now who got injured and came on and directly blamed the fact that this change was, or this crackdown, I should say, 
took place took place mid season, and all of a sudden he had to go cold turkey and not using any substances, and he thinks that was terrible timing of MLB. Um, you know, from your point of view, and uh, maybe you could tell me, you know, if you used anything or if you know of others who've used stuff. But um, you know, there's there's the hard stuff like the spider tech. There's the old uh, rosin sunscreen. Hey, I, listen, I pitch my own softball games. I use sunscreen and rosin myself. It helps. Nice. Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> I, I legitimately never used any substance until I got to the big leagues um, because the ball is different. I got up to Oakland for the first time and at like, you know, the night game, it's 50 degrees and you got that, that, you know, marine layer off the bay. The balls are like cue balls, the way they're, they're rubbed up, the way they come out of the package. Like it just, it's the slipperiest thing in the world. And so um, everybody knew that the ball was slippery and so guys i was like hey what's going on guys why, why can't i hold on to this baseball and it was you know this the baseball is terrible the big league baseball is really slippery so i was shown how to use sunscreen and rosin and it was it wasn't cheating to me because it didn't make anything i did better um it didn't change my spin rate you know that i found out later in my career when spin was now you know readily available and and something that was taught and um guys just did it because you need it for grip you wanted to be able to hold on to the baseball um you would literally just touch it rub the ball and it would become like every other baseball you've played with your entire life instead of being like just super slippery um and then you know they start they didn't enforce it and so guys found a way to use it to their advantage. Once they figured out that, that spin is in and the stickier substances make your spin higher, there's going to be guys that, that find a loophole and, and figure it out. And so, you know, it's kind of, you, you shot yourself in the foot by guys cheating. Like I think the spider stack, the spider tack and, and substances like that are cheating. You know, it's not going to change who you are. Like obviously Garrett Cole, used spider tack right he's the poster child but he went and threw a cg and had 12 punch outs um without it and so it's not going to make a bad hitter or a bad pitcher a great pitcher but it's just going to make them that much better and so it's not it's not on the level of you know steroids where you're changing the, the type of player you are but it's definitely cheating um tyler glass now unfortunately i'm not a doctor i don't know what it was but i do know that if the baseball is slippery you feel like you have to squeeze it more that is an unfortunate byproduct i think mlb should have uh, they've known this for my entire career since i got to the big leagues in 07 it's been a known thing and i guarantee it was before that they could have changed the baseball and figured out how to put a put a baseball that has grip you wouldn't have to mess with it every other league has a baseball that you open up and it's out of the plastic is ready to go. I played against Japanese teams, Taiwanese teams, you know, they're ready to go. And so baseball, instead of addressing a problem, they just figured they would manufacture one and make the balls fly farther and harder. Um, So I understand guys that were upset that MLB changed it mid-season and just decided to start enforcing it, but it needed to be addressed. Guys were cheating and, you know, they, instead of, fixing it themselves and policing themselves you they they weren't going to do it and so you had to stop it they should have did it the off season before or even 10 years ago but it is what it is and i'm glad it's out of the game yeah 
You know, and the problem also is that MLB can't go and say, um, well, we'll allow certain substance, we'll allow sunscreen and rosin, but we won't allow uh, a certain other substance. It's very hard to do that because I guarantee you if you allow anything, all of a sudden the teams will come up with a bunch of chemists and they'll engineer something that looks and smells like sunscreen and, and <laughs> rosin. But it has a lot more grip, and it has a lot more tack to it. Uh, there's smart guys who can do it, and I guarantee you they will try that. So I think MLB tried to steer clear and say, okay, you just can't use anything. you got to go cold turkey. The question, of course, was, was the change midseason the right thing? Because now you're talking about you know, literally pitchers touching the ball very differently, have a very different feel in their hand. Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely could should have been addressed in an offseason, but – uh, it, it became, they let it go for so long that it became, you know, almost an epidemic where they're teaching it in the minor leagues. All the teams are, are kind of endorsing it and trying to move forward with that. And so, uh, they let it get out of control and then they panicked and, and stopped at mid season. And so, you know, you're seeing kind of the result of that again, I'm glad it's out of the game, but the problem still remains that the baseball is super slippery. It is legitimately different than any, I've never my entire life, I've never picked up a baseball, wet conditions, cold conditions, and it didn't feel right in my hand until I got to the big leagues. And I'm like, what is going on? Why is this different? I played baseball my entire life, and all of a sudden I get to the biggest stage and this baseball feels doesn't feel right? Like, that's a big problem. And so they still have that hanging over them. They need to fix it. It's still it's still a problem. You're You're going to have issues with it. And so... You, you can't allow, like you said, you can't allow sunscreen and rosin because even, even sunscreen and rosin can be taken advantage of if you, if you apply it and reapply it and reapply it. Right, you're going right. to create stuff that is really sticky and you're going you're gonna, to uh, – people would abuse that because, you know, you, you, leave, <laughs> you, you leave a crack in, in, or, you know, you crack the door to anything and, and players have shown time and time again that there's going to – the reward is too big and guys are going to try to take advantage of it. And some guys don't even see it as cheating. They're just like, look, if, if they're allowing it, I'm going to try it. And then if, if I get caught, I'd slap my hand, you know, from sign stealing to sticky substances to pitchers that were known for scuffing the ball with, with, you know, sandpaper or using a spitter. Like these are, these are stories told down and you look at, history of guys being in the stands and, and wearing a different hat for off speed and whatnot. Guys try and they will try no matter what rules are out there. Guys are going to try and some people will cheat. You just got to stamp it down when you see it. And, and MLB failed to do that. And then you see the results now. Yeah. And, you know, of course, that, that brings up a, a big issue in baseball is that the penalty for getting caught is not that great. And the upside for a performance increase is great. I mean, if you're if you're performing well, your next contract worth millions, millions of dollars. If you're caught, maybe it's a, a game suspension, three game suspension. I mean, it, it talks about the whole steroids era where, you know, people would use it. And, you know, I got to get to the big leagues. You know, I, I'm not going to make any money if I don't get there. So I might as well use it if I get caught. So what? You know, got to take that chance. Uh, that That's a little bit of a problem when you have a pay scale that the very top are uh, making quite a lot more than people who are not in the majors yet or just in the majors that it allows trying anything you can for an edge even if it's borderline cheating or cheating yeah i mean i disagree with you in the sense that i okay. think the punishment i think the punishment for this for for using stick is severe enough that guys are going to stop doing it i mean okay. if, okay. if 
like I said, it's not going to make a, 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 a good pitcher or it's not going to make a bad pitcher great. Like yeah, it's the, not that your, your risk reward. This yeah, right, 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 right. Yeah. And so, I mean, the punishment, like you've, you've seen it, it's, it's pretty much eliminated from the game. I even think, you know, Hector Santiago, I imagine what he had on his glove was from years past or even spring training, you know, guys, wow. it takes a while to break in a baseball glove. He probably right. had it on his hands and it eventually, you know, over and over from rubbing it on your hands and putting your hand in and out of your glove so many times, there's a buildup there. I bet he didn't even use it that game. And it was built up from just not wanting to use a brand new baseball glove. Um, I could be wrong. I could be naive in that sense. But but okay. I've had some. I have gloves here in my in my in my office that there's like residue from months of using sunscreen and rosin. It's not a. I can't touch it, and all of a sudden my spin rate goes up. But it's just you know from sweat and build up and dirt and all that stuff. It, eventually, you know, just like your shoes or you know, the scuffs on your shoes, eventually that stuff's going to build up. But I think it's pretty much gone from the game. And I think the punishment is, has been enough. And, and maybe the humiliation and, and embarrassment that goes with getting caught, I think has shown guys that, that they don't need it. You don't need it because it's not that much of an advantage. It doesn't make you significantly better. And if you can't make the adjustment, then, then you don't belong in the game. And Tyler Glasnow actually blamed it for his injury. But injuries have been up all throughout baseball. Why do you think that is this year compared to other years? Well, I think it was the, the shortened season, you know. I think it was the the whole year of, of not knowing what to do, um, not training the same way, and then ramping it up in spring training on, on fewer innings. You know, that, that's been – guys have been – getting injured from lack of inactivity the year before, whether it be from, you know, uh, a non throwing arm issue, like they, they hurt their knee and had surgery and then their innings were shorter than the next year they go out and get hurt. And even from, you know, from guys that go out and throw 200 innings plus they go to the world series. You know, I remember in, in 15 after the world series with New York, all these pitchers had shorter rest going into the off season, so they weren't ready to go at spring training because they actually had to take time off to let their arms recover. It's just there's a there's a science to it, and when you change the schedule that much and and change the the wear on on guys' arms, you're gonna have injuries, you're gonna have issues, and and guys didn't you're not easing your way into it. I think. I think Jacob Degrom has done such a good job, not just like what he's doing statistically is like amazing everybody should be talking about it. i'm sure you guys have fan graphs like i've read everything i've had so many interviews about jacob de this year that just because i was on his team or I, i've seen it firsthand because he's that good but what he's done that's kind of been under the radar is monitor his body he's been able to to pinpoint through his delivery when he's off a little bit and then he he's a grown man and such a good professional that he's pulled himself out of situations where his risk for, for big injuries are at a higher rate. And so he's eliminated those things. And I think that, you know, apart from being the best pitcher on the planet, uh, head and shoulders above everybody else, but his ability to pull himself out when he senses that he's in danger of really injuring himself has been his biggest accomplishment this year. And so you're with that shortened season, I think guys are at a big risk of, of really hurting themselves. And you're, you're seeing that. Yeah. And DeGrom certainly is at 
another level. He's not on this planet. Um, in terms of analytics, and we do a lot of analytics here at Fangraphs, um, how has the analytics that you were uh, that, that you reviewed and that was brought to you and presented to you, how has it changed for you throughout your career? Because I know with every two, three years, the amount of, of information and the type of information just doubles. Um, how did you see that progress throughout your major league career? Uh, I've seen it like, oh man, like when I, I, I didn't watch video until I got to the big leagues because there really wasn't a system in place in the minor leagues to watch video and watch your delivery and, and see spin rate was unheard of. Um, even like, you know, from release point and, you know, where you're going, your, your cluster, your spin, all that stuff was brand new. And so I've learned about it as my career progressed. And what I basically learned, I learned what I already knew. I learned what was what made me a good baseball player, and that's my curveball. I learned why it was good, and and I learned how to repeat it easier. Um, in the off season, throwing on a rap soto or on a track man, I was able to really hone in what I felt when I threw it, and I could see it and feel it out of my hand and see a result. I could see what it did, and then when I threw one, I was able to realize what was different, and it, it just makes you, it makes your your adjustment. So what what makes a really good pitcher different than a great pitcher, and somebody that's able to to be in the big leagues from just pure talent is being able to make adjustments as quickly as possible, and with all the advancements in technology, pitchers are able to learn what they do best and make the adjustments when they're not doing that quicker. And I think that was the biggest thing for me. And also, I realized that I outperformed what I'm supposed to do, like from all the projections and all yeah. of my spin rates, all of that, I've outperformed that pretty much unanimously across the board. Like from a statistical standpoint, I've just overachieved my whole life. And I think that if two things, one, a computer program will never be able to really tell you whether or not you're going to be a successful big leaguer. It might show you what you do really well or give you a guesswork, but it also shows me that there's holes in the data. Like there's just certain things that you haven't, that they haven't been able to track yet. So from the intangibles, from situational hitting or pitching to, being able to read in bat swings, like I pointed, like I said a little bit earlier, you just can't quantify that. And I think that's one thing that's been missing from this data driven. And I'm not anti data at all. I think it's a huge thing. Like the more knowledge that you can get about yourself, the better. Like you're only going to make yourself better the better you know yourself um, from pitching to just life in general. If you, if you know who you are, and what you're good at and what you're not good at, you're only going to make yourself better. Um, but if that were true, I would never have probably made it to the big leagues because like I said, I, I outperformed all this stuff and, and why, what is it? And, and you can't quantify it yet. I know everybody's trying to figure out, you know, whether it's clutch or guys that, that, you know, when I was coming up, a lot of the guys talked about they have an invisible fastball. Like a guy throws 88, but he, you know, everybody swings and misses it. Now we know that that's, you know, ride or it's, it's, 
a high spin four seam fastball that just looks like it stays up. Like we we we're able to quantify that now. Um, I imagine that they're never going to be able to just simulate baseball, and I love that part of it. But I also love that they're they're trying, and you're learning from it. And so, baseball will never. We've we've. Let me see if I could phrase this. This is I'm very <laughs> passionate about this because sure, I think sure. I, the end of my career, towards the end of my career, especially the last probably six years that I was in the game, so many baseball minds, guys that played the game and really know the game of baseball have been pushed out really far away from the game. So all the front offices, all the the scouting departments, there's no more, or there's a lot fewer people that played baseball. And I'm not saying that you had to play baseball to know a good player or to be able to, to pick a team. I'm, I'm saying that you can't be only data-driven. You have to have some people in there that can see a guy or know or or character makeup to be able to say this guy is really good at baseball but he's a terrible human and he's going to make your team worse he might do great statistically but he's going to drag down your team i remember um you remember when the the nationals traded for papelbon and it kind of i'm not saying he individually derailed their team um, but they, they took a dive after that, right? And it wasn't because of Papelbon. I think it was because they changed the makeup of their team. They had Drew Storen with like a one. All of a sudden, he's not your starter or your closer anymore. Uh, so he's got a confidence thing going on. Um, you bring in a guy that has a big personality and, and you're shaking up. You're like, all right, well, they don't have faith in... in and Storin or even Clippard at the time at the back end. So what's going to go on? And I think it just, there's, you can't quantify certain things in, in data and you need uh, an equal amount of people that know what it takes to be on a team or play the sport or seen things. And I think you're, 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 we're on an era now that teams are starting to understand that. So we went from all baseball minds to where you saw Moneyball, And it's just like this guy, you know, he has an ugly girlfriend and that means he lacks confidence. So he's not going to be able to play <laughs> baseball, which is ridiculous. And then you get to the, uh, you know, I never played baseball, but this guy looks really good on paper and you can put together a whole team. And now you're seeing that that didn't work all the way and you're going to meet halfway in the middle. And I think we're right on the precipice of, of that sweet spot of data and regular scouting and all that coming together. So it's a, it's a super exciting time uh, for baseball. Yeah, no, there's definitely more than just the pure analytics. There's the other stuff, and scouting shouldn't go away, and uh, uh, it won't. And, of course, I say this being one of the guys who does the projections on fan graphs. The ATC projections have been dubbed the number one most accurate projections that are available out there. So uh, That's um, that's awesome, man. Like I, like I <laughs> said, the, the more you know, the better. And there's a reason why there's so many really smart people in the game from – GM to press like I I came up with Oakland when Farhan Zaidi was like coming up with Oakland as well and that guy is so smart and you're seeing what that translates to in San Francisco on a team that's overachieving yeah yeah and but Farhan also understands like he also understands that baseball is still baseball and so he surrounds himself with not only smart people 
but smart baseball people too. And so he's really done a great job of, of bringing in really, really smart data driven. You have to have it. They're, they're so far advanced data from the data standpoint. They know so much, but they also know how to translate that on the field. And, and I think they've done a great job. Gabe Kapler, you know, all those guys, have, they're so smart. And I really, I'm so proud of them with what they're, they've been able to do so quickly over there. Well, you've actually had a pretty long career just being the lefty and being, quote-unquote, like you're saying, overachieving. What would you say was the highlight of your career? One single highlight? Well, besides the time you got that RBI single against the Phillies, what was the <laughs> highlight of your career? one of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, man. I, I mean, from, from the time I was a little kid, my favorite baseball player was Ken Griffey Jr. Like I, I went through like I, the A's were my team. I went through a big time Jose Canseco phase, but ultimately being left-handed, you know, seeing Ken Griffey Jr. swing his charisma, what he did for baseball for me was really be a superstar. And, and I remember growing up the whole time, anytime I'm like fantasizing about being in the big leagues, I'm facing Ken Griffey Jr. It's the World Series Game 7, we're up three, the bases are loaded, Ken Griffey Jr.'s up, right? Every time. I've, oh, yeah. And I I strike him out, of course, in my dreams. <laughs> <laughs> and then I got a chance to face him when he was in – I faced him a couple of times, but the first time uh, he was with the White Sox and I was out in Oakland and they came to play and it was like two outs and he steps to the plate and uh, they're like, now betting Ken Griffey Jr. And I'm like, holy shit. It was like one of those moments. Like I ended up, I remember every pitch. I struck him out on a curveball away. He swung through it, and it was a beautiful swing. Missed. I get to the dugout, like the long walk to the dugout in Oakland. And I'm sitting there giving high fives. Uh, the manager comes over and says, great job. Um, you know, so-and-so is coming in for you after the inning. And I sit on the bench and all of a sudden, like I, I get a, just a rush, a wave hits me of like emotion and I can feel myself like getting teary eyed. Wow. And I broke a unwritten baseball rule and I went up to the clubhouse. You're supposed to stay, watch your team hit, and then you can go, you know, do your arm care, get your ice, whatever it is. I'm like, I'm not crying. <laughs> I'm not crying on TV in front of all my teammates. Uh, so I like rush up the 200 flight or 200 stairs that it takes to get to the Coliseum's clubhouse in Oakland. And I'm like, Oh my goodness. And then I break rule number two on unwritten rules. And I use myself. That's actually not even unwritten. That's probably written in your team rules. I call my brother, (laughs) my older brother who, you know, taught me everything I know about baseball and, and put that love in for me. And I'm like, dude, I got to call him. He's going to calm me down. Uh, I could feel myself, you know, really getting on the verge of tears and I'm like, I call him up. I'm like, okay. And I hear him answer. He goes, oh my gosh. You know, he's crying already. He's like, you struck out King of Jr. And I like, just let it go. And I, I, I got it out. I got a chance to face my hero. I got to strike him out in a big league game. Like if I died that moment, I would be so happy. So if there's a highlight, you know, apart from, you know, certain moments and certain games and, and all that, that's got to be it for me. Um, facing my, my childhood hero, striking him out like I've done a million times in, in my dreams as a kid and, and being able to share that moment with my brother. It was a, it was a, a glorious thing. It's something that I cherish. 
um, to this day. And I've, I've had a chance to speak to Cambry Jr. a few times. He's, you know, everybody says don't meet your heroes because you'll find out they're human. Well, this guy is a, is a better human being than he was a baseball player. And that's, that's wow. saying a lot. Um, so I'll, I'll be forever grateful for baseball my whole life. I'm a fan first. And to be able to have uh, a moment like that is, is, you know, uh, again, like I've, I've got chills thinking about it. I still don't really believe it happened. Um, but that, that's gotta be my single moment. Fantastic. Unbelievable. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's often uh, just the 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 memory of growing up as a, in your childhood and the dream, and that was the part that you fulfilled. I mean, uh, you know, playing in a World Series. If if that wasn't your your thing, if it was striking out Ken Griffey Jr., you know, it, just completing that th- that's the whole dream. And and I can totally understand that. That's amazing. Yeah, man. Uh, like like I said, I'm a fan of baseball. I'll forever love the game of baseball. Um, it's a beautiful sport. It's given me so much. Uh, I've, I've enjoyed every moment of it. it. It's been, you know, it's really hard. Like I said, you know, I've neglected a lot of things in my life in pursuit of, of being a, a player at this game. Um, but it's given me so much. And, and even, even if it, I, I had didn't get the chance to play even college baseball, you know, I walked on to my baseball team at the university of Dayton and like it's so far fetched for me to ever have played in the big leagues from a small town in in northwest ohio um no matter what happened in this world in this life for me i would have always loved baseball and to to be able to to play the game for as long as i did like i'll forever be grateful to to baseball and i'll i enjoy every moment i can to talk about it and to try to give it back and teach it to the next generation and just show my appreciation for it, you know, from speaking to, to, to guys like you, um, like both of you guys and, and talking to kids and, and whatever it is, like, I just love the game. And, uh, I hope I've shown that in how I played the game. And I hope to show that continuously, you know, as long as people will listen to me talk about it. So, uh, you know, I love the game. You guys love the game. I mean, you guys dedicate so much of your life. It's your job too. That's something I think that's something I think as a player I always appreciated whether it be, you know, reporters or front office workers or or ticket sales, stadium workers. These everybody has dedicated a portion of their lives to the game that I love too. And so I always feel a camaraderie whenever anybody you know, does anything around the game of baseball. And so, uh, I love, I love the game. It's clear that you guys love the game. So, so I'm all for any bit of that. I got a question from a uh, mailbag question from oh, John. Wonderful. And he asks a little bit of an odd question. What is the most cheesesteaks that you ate in the visiting <laughs> clubhouse at Citizens <laughs> Bank Park? And he also asks, uh, as he is an autograph collector, do you have any funny, good, or awful autograph stories? Oh, man. that Those are two really good questions. <laughs> That's kind of an insider scoop uh, in the visiting clubhouse. That's kind of uh, a running tally. Uh, <laughs> some guys have done some amazing things. Uh, if you ever get a chance to talk to Tommy Hunter, uh, he's done some wonderful work in the clubhouse with the cheesesteaks. I personally, in one day, I got down three. Um, 
and I ate two pregame, and I was like, I'll eat four, five maybe after the game because they are really good. Uh, <laughs> except for my stomach hurt so bad during the game that I was like, all right, I got to get to three because I told them beforehand they're going to make it. I got to finish it. Um, and then I literally never ate another cheesesteak on game day at the field because it, I felt so terrible and it, it, I didn't pitch in that game. Thank goodness. I think it would have affected me on the field. So three is my limit. So, uh, I, you know, I'm not ashamed of it. It's not the best, but as a, as a, a guy not known for, you know, qual like quantity of food consumed, I think that's a pretty good, pretty good record. <laughs> All right. And uh, autograph stories, any, uh, Oh, the second uh... <laughs> autograph story. Um, I don't, uh, I'm not a, oh, I have a, like a personal story, not anything crazy. Um, so I'm not a huge collector of autographs. Um, I've never been like a huge member. I always felt weird asking my, you know, fellow baseball players for autographs, especially like early in my career. As I got closer to the end, I was like, Hey man, do you mind signing something for me? You know, whether it be for a charity auction, but uh, I, I, my one, I guess it is kind of funny. So I don't know what it is about me, but when people see me, they assume that my name is Jeremy. Like I'm, I'm saying 50% of people when they see me at a baseball field say, Jeremy, and whether or not they're looking at my baseball card, even when they look at it and they're like, oh, it's, it's legitimately Jerry, they'll look at it and go, oh, Jeremy, will you sign this for me? 50%. I'm not even like exaggerating. And so my, like, I would get sent, so apparently in like 1995, which is even before when I played, there was a pitcher that was drafted by, I want to say the California Angels at the time, named Jeremy Blevins, like legit a right-handed pitcher, Jeremy Blevins had a sick mustache in the car. Like, so I would get and you know, autograph people would send me, you know, uh, three cards. Two of them would be my card, a lefty pitcher. And then the third one would be Jeremy Blevins. And I would be like, <laughs> all right. And I just started signing him because I would, I, I honestly would, I've gotten hundreds of his baseball card and they're probably out there, you know, Jeremy signed this, but it's me. I did. <laughs> that is a good story. Uh, well, Jeremy, I mean Jerry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Look at you. Look at that. You're not just a smart guy. You're also funny. Ah, uh, uh, well, we we try here. Uh, but uh, no, this is absolutely fantastic coming to the show. And and everyone who uh, has listened to this episode can really tell the passion that you have for the game and uh, uh, the passion that you have of every aspect, playing it, analyzing it, just watching it. Uh, I I know uh, you were you were watching the game when I spoke to you a week ago or two ago, and you know watching an extra game with the Mets, and you're just passionate about it. Uh, uh, the game. So thank you so much for showing that and coming on the show today. My pleasure, man. And, and uh, appreciate everything that you do for the game. Like you guys push out such good content. I, I legitimately learned so much about myself. Like fan graphs was like, for me, the first introduction into data and what it meant for me and how I could make myself a better player. And so, uh, you know, thanks for, for keeping the game alive in so many different ways and, and doing what you're doing and putting out good content. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks again for coming to the show. Uh, that'll do it for the Beat the Shift podcast. See you next time.
Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at beat underscore shift underscore pod.